Welcome to the 201st installment of Ear to the Ground, the Land Stewardship Project's podcast on family farming, sustainable agriculture, local food systems, and local democracy. I'm Brian DeVore, editor of the Land Stewardship Letter. While growing up on his family's farm in southeastern Minnesota, Caleb Anderson associated cattle with destruction of the land. He had witnessed how the animals could overgraze hillsides, producing bare soil that was prone to erosion. But when he returned to the farm after graduating from college a few years ago, Caleb came to realize it wasn't the animals themselves that were the problem. It was the way they were managed. Simply turning them out into open fields and letting them graze at will was a disaster for the hilly, highly erosive land his family farms. In recent years, he has seen firsthand how farmers in Minnesota and other states are using livestock as a way to actually heal the land while also making money. These farmers are doing this by using carefully timed, managed rotational grazing on perennial pastures, as well as cover crops. Such systems are not only cutting erosion and runoff above ground, but are building soil health below. At a recent Land Stewardship Project Soil Builders Network field day, Anderson and his family showed how they have extended their grazing season and improved the soils on permanent pastures utilizing managed rotational grazing. They've also added economic value to marginal acres by grazing cattle on diverse cocktail mixes of annual cover crops. By moving the animals frequently, Anderson leaves behind lots of uneaten biomass, which feeds the soil and builds organic matter. In addition, the farm's corn and soybean acres have been converted to a system that protects the soil using no-till production and cover cropping. In short, the Andersons are striving for a system where profitability and soil health go hand in hand. After the field day, Caleb talked to me about his changing view of livestock's relationship to the land, ways he's building soil health, and his goal of not just sustaining the land, but regenerating it. So Caleb, we had uh, you had talked a little bit about coming back to the farm and you were trying to figure out a little bit of a way to integrate yourself into the farm, kind of, I guess, make room for yourself with some different enterprises. It sounds like maybe a little bit to your surprise, it turned out livestock or specifically cattle was the way to get back in because you didn't weren't really a big fan of being around cattle. When I grew up, uh, um, well, background that our our land was uh, just grazed continuously, and uh, so I, I saw the, the uh, you know symptoms of, of poor uh, cattle management, and so I, I you know being young, and you know recognizing that I, I associated the washouts and the poor look of the land to the cattle, and so I grew up not liking cattle for that very reason. I told my dad several times when I when I get involved, the first thing I'm going to do is sell the cows and let all the pastures grow up and, and start a game farm. <laughs> but, and the ironic part is, is that when I came back from college, yeah, I'm looking, I was looking for a way to get involved on the farm. And my, you know, my dad wanted to hold the, uh, cash cropping close to, close to chest, if you will. He, you know, he, that's not something that he wanted me to, to really take ownership of. He wasn't ready to release uh, control of that, if you will. And so I saw, you know, these continuously, continuously grazed pastures as a means of an area that I could get involved and, and cattle be that, that enterprise. And so we started, we put in interior fences, essentially via cattle management have, have improved our pastures now significantly. The amount of the forage that's there and, and the, the lack of weed pressure that used to exist, whether it was the bull thistle, the Canada thistle, the burdock, the uh, wild parsnip, um, have all diminished significantly. And I'm seeing, you know, much more diversity in the, in the pastures that 
never were there before, just all their own, all their own benefit. And so the ironic part is, is that every day I move cattle and I, I love doing it. <laughs> <laughs> well, and the other thing it sounds like you've noticed is, and this is something I've been hearing again and again this year at field days and when I talk to farmers, how much erosion we saw this spring with these heavy rains. And you, I've been on, was on your farm today. I saw how hilly it is. And you said it had been kind of a rundown farm back in the day when your grandfather bought it back in the 40s. It, you said you didn't see that impact this year, that that sounds like another positive aspect of this. I think um, my dad was on the fence this year regarding the no-till, and I think this, these spring rains alone convinced him to park the tillage equipment, and we got to go no-till. Um, looking, looking around at you know the neighbors' fields, I went down to northern Iowa to pick up pigs this spring, and it was quite shocking, you know, to see the the amount of erosion, the topsoil that was in the ditches. And yes, we have you know we farm on the hills. And uh, no-till this spring, uh, and with covers, you know, no-till and, and cover crops this spring, you know, I didn't see any negative impact from the spring rains, and so we were quite pleased with that. One thing that you kind of showed us was taking your pastures, your permanent pastures that have cool season grasses, they're dominated, but you're, you're trying to extend that season a little bit by putting in some warm season annuals and uh, you've had mixed results, but in general, it sounds like it's been a way to extend the season. And uh, also, I, I, you've been implementing some bale grazing to kind of help, I guess, maybe supercharge that biology a little bit, it sounds like. Yeah, so, so this year um, and, and last year, what I did is I graze, graze cool season pastures pretty, pretty heavy. The goal is to knock down at, you know, at least 50, 60 percent of the, the forage that's there using um, you know, tight groups, mob type grazing, and lay that mat down as a seed bed that I no-till drill it warm season annuals into. Uh, last year, you know, was, we had a little bit of a dry period in July. I got it planted. Um, we didn't get any rain, and every the, I, soil temperatures I could feel underneath this mat of grass was nice and cool. And the uh, warm season annuals popped up, and man, uh, they they did a they com- I think they complemented the cool season pastures uh, greatly. So the the goal is is to maximize the growth that can occur during our short growing season. And if you you know superimpose the the cool season growth curve over the top of a warm season growth curve you can kind of see what i'm trying to do in theory this year i had a little mixed results i think that was related to the cooler august that we had i'm not willing to give up it's something i'm going to keep trying but i think it it presents an opportunity to not only uh, increase the amount of forage that's available for for cattle to extend the grazing season but also as a means of adding diversity although it's short-term diversity but adding diversity to that soil for for the growing season. So one of the things you had really kind of brought home, uh, tried to bring home as a point with all of your examples of what you're doing on your farm is really trying to tie in profitability with soil health. And I guess the key word here is profitability and not necessarily just maximum productivity because sometimes that gets that becomes the overarching goal and we miss trying to create a system that's I guess self-reliant or self-generating but you really see you can have that soil being self-reliant and and regenerative then it's really going to produce profits for you because that's an issue for a lot of farmers as well should I plant cover crops I'm not sure if that's going to pencil out because of the cost of the seed that kind of thing but you really see that as integral it sounds like. I believe that there's a direct relationship between 
farm profitability, soil organic matter, or, and soil health. Mm-hmm. Using the, the five basic principles yeah. of soil health uh, to improve our soils every year, I see, I see that farm profitability is, can be complemented with the practices of, of soil health. And if I see it as an investment. Every year, it's, it's an investment in the, the soil, and that will pay me dividends. And so every year, things get better and better, and I'm not losing any of that soil, you know, via the soil health practices with cover crops. In terms of profitability uh, per acre versus production per acre, it's, it's a, I think it's a, it's a conscious decision that, you know, this year we decided on our bean field not to have another herbicide pass. You know, we looked at putting a little manual labor into pulling some weeds. It wasn't a lot of weeds in there, so we, we put in some manual labor, and so one kept our kept our costs down on the on the herbicide but two it was more of not wanting to add that extra herbicide it was for me it was that you know if i can reduce my inputs if i can lower that bottom line i see that as a positive thing that ultimately will lead me to more farm profit people look at say the cost of that cover crop seed or the cost of certain practices and say, well, I can't afford that. But you're looking in the longer term of, like you said, it's an investment in the soil health. And it's, it sounds like it ties in a little bit with, you were talking about, you don't really call what you're doing as sustainable farming, even even though that's something that's been used for a long time. It's more regenerative. You talked about how you want to kind of sustainable, kind of can, it can be, well, you're sustaining what's already there, the kind of the status quo. Just to touch on your your first point, Brian. This this fall, I'm choosing to invest in cover crop seed, which in in turn will be my my herbicide for my beans next year. So one, that cover crop will not only feed the soil, protect the soil. It'll also be my weed suppression next year. So direct relationship between the two. And uh, two, I guess on the second point regarding the regenerative agriculture. I guess never heard, you know, for when it, for the longest time, it's sustainable, sustainable is kind of the buzzword. And I don't know if people have been on this, if, if, if this is the new buzzword, but it's something that I, I firmly believe in. My grandfather purchased our farm in, in 1945 as a, as a fairly rundown farm. And we are dealing with a degraded resource. So I've got no interest in sustaining that degraded resource. My interest is in regenerating the resource each and every year to make it more profitable and to make it more healthy. During our interview, Caleb Anderson mentioned that he adheres to the five principles of soil health. Here's a quick reminder of what those are. Number one, armor the soil's surface with growing plants and plant residue. Number two, minimize soil disturbance by reducing or eliminating tillage. Number three, utilize a diversity of plants. Number four, have a continuous presence of plants on top of the soil and roots beneath the soil 365 days a year. And finally, number five, supercharge soil biology by integrating livestock into your farming system via managed rotational grazing. For more on the Land Stewardship Project Soil Builders Network, see www.landstewardshipproject.org. If you have comments or suggestions about this podcast, contact Brian DeVore at bdevore at landstewardshipproject.org or you can call 612-722-6377. Thanks to Laura Borgendale, a Western Minnesota musician, for Ear to the Grounds theme music. And a special thank you to all of Land Stewardship Project's members, 
who make initiatives such as this podcast possible. If you're not a member, visit landstewardshipproject.org to learn how you can support LSB. Thanks for listening.